God. You know, there's a progression that we see in the service along with the children coming in with their palms and the kind of a glorious time of uh, exuberant, joyous praise to the Lord himself. And then so quickly as today, and then to Thursday, a terrible arrest, horrific time before the judges, the beatings, the horrible trial, and then being hung upon the tree, all in that week. And so what we have seen today is that way that it took. And we begin with a joyous thought that Jesus coming in triumph to Jerusalem. So how meaningful that should be as we look at what comes next. His walk on the Via Dolorosa. I'm going to dismiss kids for uh, junior church, ages four through fourth grade. And thank you, young people, for helping us out this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter, that scripture that was read, Luke chapter 19. It's amazing, we uh, began this time with just some real joyous time in our music, the uh, wonderful triumph of the prelude, and then as we entered in, in the scripture and the singing, and singing all glory, laud, and honor. And what a privilege it is for us as blood-washed children of, of, of God himself to be able to give praise this way to the Lord. And it is a marvelous, marvelous time. And then the service begins to uh, move in the direction that it took. And we sang as Christians, as believers, as those who are walking with Christ today, that marvelous hymn of praise, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And how wonderful it is to sing in joy and to enter into that time. And yet we come all the way down to this time when we remember that as we look at the scripture today and we see what is going on in Christ's own heart and mind, we see that trend from the, the joy of what we call the triumphal entry into a time when Jesus gazes upon Jerusalem, which represented to him the very household of supposed to be faith. The people of the Jews, through whom the prophet said would come the glorious good news that would touch the whole world. And yet, <coughs> excuse me, as we see coming to this time, we see the Savior coming and there is a, a willingness to be placed upon that colt and to ride in that, that brief time of triumph entering into a week that is most difficult for us, <clears throat> most difficult for Christ, the man who felt every pain that we do and understood what fear could mean unless he looked away and looked to his heavenly Father. And yet here he is, and, and we look at this scripture, and even down to 
the, the plans of the cult being ready to be taken to Jesus. And then being set. The Bible says that he was set upon that animal. He was placed in that position. And then honored as Messiah, the coming king. Very interesting as you examine what the scripture has to say. And we want to do that and see exactly how that fits into our lives. And to move from that time when Jesus approached the, the, the city, the earthly city, Jerusalem. And to understand how that has meaning to us here in Myrtle Beach today. So many days from this time when Jesus walked upon this earth. And as we enter into this week, we call it Holy Week. Not because the days are actually holy, but because our, our memorializing of this, which God planned through Jesus Christ, becomes a very part of us and a basis for our walk with the Lord. And understanding Christ coming as a man with all of the senses that we have. And yet the demands that were placed upon him as he rode in to Jerusalem. Now I want you to understand, I believe that as the Bible says it, it was his disciples. That, and when it talks about disciples, not the eleven, but more than that, it was those who had followed Jesus in his teaching, seen Jesus perform miracles, seen the Lord Jesus in that ministry of presenting reality and truth. And yet there were huge throngs there in Jerusalem who knew nothing of the truth Jesus was bringing. And so it is today here we, this little group of people, sing and rejoice and have this time of, of um, fellowship among one another and rejoicing in our, our risen Savior. And yet out beyond our walls, out where we live, the throngs of people, many, many, many have heard of Christ and have been given the glorious message of hope and life, and yet there is a division. There is a rejection. And we live in a day and an age of rejecting Bible truths, rejecting the Christ of Calvary, the Christ who for us went to the cross. And so it is today we look and we can, in some ways, understanding that, can understand Christ's reaction as he sees the city because it represents not only that holy place of God, and in many ways it was everything, anything but that, but it's a beautiful type of what is coming. The heavenly Jerusalem. And knowing the hardness of men's hearts and minds, Jesus rode in on that little colt.
And he was approached by religious leaders then and saying, oh, tell these people not to be making such a, a fuss. And especially calling you Messiah. We can't have that. You remember Jesus' response? He said, if they don't do that, the very rocks would cry out. Created things cry out. So, looking at that scripture again, I want us to look briefly at this portion of scripture. And uh, I have um, put together some thoughts on uh, uh, this whole idea of Christ looking beyond what was outward. And uh, um, uh, which ended up in his wailing, his tears, but looking beyond what was outward where people were saying, oh, he's the Messiah, he's Messiah, and those in the immediate, uh, you know, uh, part of this area, very small part indeed of Jerusalem, were crying out to the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Lord, save. Hosanna, Lord, save. And so he was recognized by this group of people as their Messiah, and they wanted to, they just, they were going along, they really did believe that somehow Jesus would rise up and take over at that time, take over the Roman oppression. And yet that isn't God's design, and yet they were fulfilling prophecy clear back from the book of Daniel. It's a marvelous thing to see and to study and to look upon these things. But Jesus is looking beyond the immediate and he's looking beyond the obvious and he's looking beyond the outward. And so it is like we come to church and we come and we're dressed, we're bathed, we smell good, most of us. We desire to have an attitude of coming before the King of Kings. And we want to give him the very best. And I don't mean just in our clothing, but in our attitudes. And in our, our, our voicing to him, our praise and our adoration. And yet Jesus was looking beyond the, the palm-waving group. And he was looking into hearts. And he was looking beyond into the city of those who would reject him ultimately. So if you would just look at verse 41 through 44, that is my area of concern this morning and uh, we read more in our scripture, but look at 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. The word wept has a greater, uh, uh, probably a greater understanding if we realize that it, within it is the concept of wailing. Jesus was in agony over people. People's attitudes and their hearts. Oh yes, we tend to get caught up in the excitement. What's going on in our hearts? He beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy people. 
peace. But now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee, and thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee. He's talking about the coming of the invasion which would level, eventually level the temple, level the city, and kill the people. That thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground. What does that mean? It means they would die. Physically, they would be level with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave on the, in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. And we have to say, why didn't they know that this was the visitation? They were religious people. They were taught in the Old Testament law. They understood the prophets. And time and time again they had heard these scriptures and they even knew them in their hearts or by in their minds anyway. And yet there was no understanding. And I would say that that is the perfect picture of our society and our culture today. Even within what we call the church. And I believe as Christ would approach us on such a morning, would he come seeing beyond the clean bodies the voices he hears and the beauty upon the instruments and the singing and all that goes on with bringing in the king. And yet he sees beyond. Beyond the outward. To the tears. And you know what? We are Christ's representatives. We're ambassadors for Christ. We are the ones who ought to be seeing the city and coming to that point of tears because of the absolute and utter rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel, the only hope there is for humanity. And then we hear a song like the quartet saying, King of Humility. Coming for us. Laying down voluntarily his very life on our behalf. And yet, do we see what he sees? Do we feel emotionally what he felt? Do we approach the city as he did? Understanding and seeing the truth of the absolute rejection of life. That's why I believe the church is called the remnant. Even today. The remnant. Are we willing to be 
the remnant. We call this Palm Sunday and it's because of the use of the palm branches that were used there when Jesus was taken into the city or entered into Jerusalem at that time. And the Bible says that many, many people of the, the, the followers of Christ then who were following him for one reason or another, maybe to see more miracles or maybe to be fed, who knows? But for one reason or another, they believed that this man would then be the one who would be the Lord's Messiah. They knew what the Bible taught about the coming of the Messiah. And so their, their, their cries and their, their, their laud and their adoration, very evident. And the Bible says that they took their coats off to allow that, that donkey to walk upon those and they took branches out of the trees. And John call, says, he's the one that tells us it was palm branches and they would just lay them, wave them and, and throw them before the, the, uh, that little colt as Jesus walked by, giving him homage. Daniel is the one who first mentions this amazing prophet, prophecy in chapter 9. And all the gospel writers have recorded this, what we call Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry. Actually, I think triumphal entry is a bit much. It was the gateway of his great suffering and his great time of agony on the cross. Where the triumph is, is when men and women give themselves that the Savior may come in. In triumph. So we see the setting of the scene. This is about five days before Passover. Very important time in the lives of these men and women. Jesus and the disciples are coming from Bethany, which is about five miles down the road from Jerusalem. And this is probably the most important feast time in, for this nation. And at the time of the, this, this time of the year when people came in for Passover, the, the Jerusalem city grew exponentially and it, it turned out it was about 300,000, they, they say approximately 300,000 people jammed into old Jerusalem. Now that's a pretty big crowd for that day. So many, many pilgrims coming in. And so we come to this scripture and we, we come to this time for the Lord Jesus and we see that, that we move past what we call the triumphal entry to Palm Sunday's woe. Woe. Wail, tears, inner agony. And here we have the Savior, the King of humility, entering in and Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. He is broken hearted in his manhood, in his humanhood. 
and his whole coming is for and on behalf of those who absolutely reject him. So we have some wonderful lessons here about the Lord Jesus in these two verses, 41 and 42. Look at these, if you would. I want you to understand that um, as, the, as the word of God in 41 says, he beheld the city. He beheld the city. In other words, he was looking beyond then. Oh, the pleasantries, that was great. All the excitement about people being there in Jerusalem. It was a great holiday. And yet he looks beyond all these things. You know what it makes me think? It makes me realize that as in Jesus' day, so it is today. So much in our world is absolutely superficial. There's a lot of joy-making, party-making, with a little help of this and a little help of that. And the reality is it's superficial. And Jerusalem is beautiful. It's a breathtaking city. It's a breathtaking view and Jesus sees it. And there's that pomp and there, the ceremony of the, of the time of the year. A lot going on in the, temper, in the temple. A lot going on and here comes this ceremony of a band of disciples welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem. But Jesus sees beyond any kind of beauty that is there to see. He sees the inner reality. And he sees the inner reality of us today as we come in our bungling so many way, uh, bumbling way of welcoming him into our works idea that if we do it just right, maybe God will bless us. Jesus sees beyond all that. And what he sees then and what he sees today brings him to tears. More than that, agony of the wail of anguish. Because he's grieved. He's grieved then. Is he grieved today at what he sees in your life today, in my life? I can only say that as I look back at my weak and my frailty and my weakness and my yielding to temptation, yes, Lord, I am guilty of grieving you. For although I'm on the other side of Calvary, I see why Jesus went to Calvary and it was for me, a sinner, for me. And he sees beyond the outward in the church. I don't mean just this church. I mean the church. The American church. It's a sad state of being. And he says, I know thy work. Let's turn back to Revelation, the book of Revelation chapter 2, if you would. And I believe this is what Jesus has not only uh, said in the prophecy of the uh, book of Revelation, but he's saying it to us even today. Revelation chapter 2. It's filled with the word of the Lord to the church. And in, in this first part, in look at, uh, if you would, beginning at chapter 2. 
I mean, uh, in chapter 2, verse 2. And this is the message that comes from the word of God himself, Jesus. Jesus is saying this. This is his message. He says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and hast and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, he says, nevertheless, I'm looking deep within you. And he says, nevertheless, I have something against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Then if you go into the other messages to the churches, which all represent the church today, and all of those messages are for us today, we find we are lacking when it comes to the reality of our worship and our adoration and our living for the King of Kings. And we are no better off today than this crowd in Jerusalem. I know thy works. And he sees the outward in our lives, in our walk with him. And what he sees makes him weep. Is he grieved at what he sees? in your life today? It's a hard question. It's a difficult question. I have done battle with that. And not just in days past, but even in this very day. For my heart is fickle. And my heart is wicked. And I can go from a spiritual high to a spiritual low in a second's time. And so he sees beyond the outward in our lives that facade in all of us hides inward sin. Those things are hidden from view. But Jesus sees. And oftentimes there's a smile on our faces that hides what? Inward tears. That's proper, folks, hidden from public view, but bringing forth, hopefully, a repentant spirit toward our Savior. So, he sees beyond, he looks beyond. He saw beyond Jerusalem, he sees beyond this crowd. And he cares. Verse 41 tells us, he said he wept over it. He wailed over it. I believe that we see that his primary concern was not over their physical well-being, not over how wealthy they were or how happy they were day in and day out, but he was concerned, he was concerned over their sin. And yes, Sin brings pain. It always brings pain and suffering. From the first sin in the Garden of Eden, you know, with our federal head, Adam, 
and his wife, our historic mother Eve, from then. And every act of disobedience to the word of God brings pain, guaranteed in your life. And some of you can wear your smile and you can look great as if everything's well. And yet we know, we know, we know, don't we? That God sees within our hearts and our minds beyond the smiles, beyond everything that looks great. And we have to come, bring it all the way down in the funnel to this, that every act of disobedience brings pain. Pain. All sin has negative consequences in our lives. Be sure your sins will what? Find you out. Is that just God wasting pen and ink? It's a reality our lives. It's our history. So, do you think you're getting away with sin? Well, maybe you're hiding it from this nice group of pleasant people. You cannot sin and remain unscathed in your life. Why do I say that? It's because I don't see what you're spending time doing. I don't see what you're reading. You don't see what I'm reading. I don't see what you have on your computer. You don't see what I have on my computer. You don't see my responses to the, my family and to those around. You don't see. And likewise, I am limited in what I see. I have no idea what lust you tolerate in your life. I don't have any idea what really is going on in your mind. But I do know this. The words you say, the words I say, the stories you tell, the stories I tell, the lies as we misrepresent one another to one another. All of these things bring great pain in the body of Christ, in our world, in our time. And yet Jesus cares about our pain. That's what he tells me here. He wept over that city. He wept over not the city, the stone and the mortar. He wept over people, individuals, flesh and blood. But I want you to see something else in 42. It says, if thou hadst known. He's speaking to the city. If thou hadst known. You see, Jesus understands my full potential. He understands your full potential. As a believer, as an individual, if thou hadst known, if thou hadst known what Jerusalem could have been, 
was a city of blessing. It could have been a great blessing. It was meant to be. Remember, Jesus, uh, God covenanted with those prophets and those people of old saying to the Jewish nation, you are going to be a nation of blessing which brings blessing to the whole world. What's he talking about? He's talking about the gospel rises up out of that nation. And yet what a shambles occurred. It was to be a city of blessing. Instead it has become a, a city of war and grief and loathing in our time. How does that equate with us as the church? How does that equate with us as individual believers? Are we the, in, oh, instead of God's people rising up and living as light in the darkness, what is our world seeing? But the Lord knows our full potential. And maybe the The ugliest words or the saddest words are words like the words of the tongue which say, man, it might have been different. My life could have been different. In other words, the Lord knows what we can do, what we're capable of, what we can achieve. Do not underestimate the power of our Savior. The same Savior who rode in years ago is that one who rides into our lives and he sees beyond even what we see in each other. Well, have you blown it? You know what? Somebody has said, and I don't even know who said it, but they said a great future beats a great past every time. I have a future in Christ. I have, from this point on, the remainder of my years alive on this earth physically, but I have eternity in his presence very much alive. A great future. Beats a great past every time. And so we come to that very end of this whole thought and it has to do with what Jesus says here in verse 42. He says, the things which belong to thy peace. Connected, if thou hadst known. And now he is saying, peace. Peace. If we don't know Christ, how do we know peace? Through Christ Jesus. That marvelous gift of life in Christ. Peace. It's a, it's a wonderful word. You know, Jerusalem means the city of peace. We know the peace of God, don't we? The book of Romans, especially in Romans 5, it talks about the peace of God through Jesus Christ. 
But you know that in 43, if you go back to this, this um, portion of scripture in verses 43 and 44, it says war is always waiting in the wings. That's what it says. And in that day and age, it meant Titus was on his way. It meant the destruction of that city. God is a judge, God of mercy, a God of grace, but he's also a just God. So church, what are you doing with the Christ as he enters in? He sees beyond, he sees within. So he calls upon us to preach the gospel. Does that mean with always with our lips? No, not always. It's the way we live, the way we think. The peace of Jesus is for individuals. And we have a responsibility. So come now. And our tears can be changed to joy. I want to read in closing from 1 John, out of 1 John, it's chapter one, and it's very familiar to you, but it is for us as believers. It's, this isn't for unbelievers, this is for believers. Those, written to those from the Savior who provides what is beyond what we see on the outside the inside and it has to do with the forgiveness of sins. First John, I want to begin at verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Listen, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the good news. That's why Jesus rode in to Jerusalem. That's why he wept and wailed because of the resistance to the gospel. And yet here we are. We have received the gospel of light and yet we go back out into the city. The city of rejection. The city of human pain degradation. His desire is that we go out of this place into the city. And we live our lives in the blessed hope of Jesus Christ himself. Who gave himself that men may not know the judgment of God. But that judgment was cast upon Jesus himself. He became a curse for us. That we may be free from that penalty of our sins.